Hallelujah. Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 12, verse 26. And then we're going to Joshua chapter 4 and verse 6. And then we're going to go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 12. Amen. Amen. Three verses of scripture here for our text. Uh, Exodus 12, 26, Joshua 4 and 6, and then Acts 2 and 12. Amen. Exodus 12, 26, and it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? What mean ye by this service? Joshua chapter 4, verse 6. That this may be a sign among you. That when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying. What mean ye by these stones? What mean ye by these stones? And then to the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt saying one to another. What Meaneth this. What meaneth this? And so I, I want to preach to you tonight from this simple thought. What's the meaning of this? What's the meaning of this? Amen. Would you pray with me right now that the Holy Ghost would talk to us? Everybody, let's, let's lift our voices to the Lord right now. Jesus Christ. Come on, church. Let's reach out to the Lord right now. Come on, everybody. Let's reach out to the Lord. We need the touch of God in this service. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 Now, the devil would like nothing better than to bind this service up from this point forward. And so I'm calling on the saints of God to help me tonight. Amen. Would you get with me? Would you help your pastor preach tonight? If you feel that something that starts to bog down, would you just push your way on through and let's have victory around here tonight. Amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. In, in the book of Exodus chapter 12 and verse 26, we have read to you uh, the words of the Lord to the children of Israel. It was during the time in which he was instructing them concerning the keeping of the Old Testament Passover. You understand that the Passover came about because the Israelites were being freed from bondage. Amen. On that night, God had told them to take a lamb of the first year without spot or blemish, to kill it, to apply the blood to the doorpost, and to eat the flesh. And he went on to tell them that when you apply that blood, that's what I'm going to be looking for. Because he said, I'm going to go through the camp tonight. And I'm looking for something in particular. I want to see if you've kept my orders. 
I'm looking for the application of the blood. And when I see the blood, he said, I will pass over you. But if I don't see the blood, the firstborn of everything that is inside that house is going to die. Amen. Amen. And so God said, now, this is not just for tonight. We're doing this tonight. And it's going to spare you from the curse of death tonight. But I want you to understand that we're starting something here that I don't intend to ever stop. Exodus chapter 12, read verses 12 to 14. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Right. And then verse 14 says. And this day shall be this unto you. This day shall be unto you. For a memorial. For a memorial. And ye shall keep and it a shall feast to the Lord. a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generation. Throughout your generation. You shall keep it a you feast. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance by forever. An ordinance forever. Forever. You're starting it tonight, but I don't want it to stop. Every year at this same time, I want you to go into your house. I want you to have killed another lamb. I want you to go through these very steps again year after year after year. Don't ever forget what I've done for you this night. This night I have put behind you the captivity of Egypt. This night I have taken the shackles off of your feet and off of your hands. This night I've set you free and don't you ever forget it. Now, I want to tell you to those who had been slaves in Egypt, to those who had known the whip of the taskmasters, when that first year anniversary rolled around and it was Passover time, honey, you didn't have to force anybody to do that. They said, we're so glad to be out of Egypt. We're excited about celebrating the Passover. We're excited about what doing what we're doing. We're happy. Somebody bring me that lamb. This is not a drudgery. I'm enjoying what I'm doing because I'm free from Egypt. I submit to you that I, I believe that there were a number of years in which the keeping of the Passover was no doubt an exciting time to them. Right. It was a time they looked forward to. It was a time they anticipated. It was, it, it was a holiday of all holidays to them. Amen. They longed for it. But God said keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. You understand forever is a long time. God, understanding human nature, knew that the time would come when a generation would arise that did not remember the bondage of Egypt. They didn't know what it was like to be in that house that night. 
and hearing the cries of their neighbors. There was a generation that had been brought up in that freedom. Well, hallelujah. They didn't understand what it was all about. They hadn't been there. They hadn't experienced it firsthand. They just knew that every year at this time, mom and daddy sat down and killed a lamb and ate it. And so in preparation for that first Passover, God gave Israel some very specific instructions concerning that time, which would be many years from then. Exodus chapter 12, verses 24 to 27, read. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to, to thy thee sons forever. And to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass, when ye become to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. Even when you're not wandering in the wilderness anymore, even when you've come into the land of promise, I don't want you to change one thing. I want it to stay the way it is right now. Read. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? Now listen, God knew the day was going to come. God knew. God knew when it would be. Forty years from then when they'd settle down in that land. God knew that there would be children that were raised. In fact, there were only two men that even went into the promised land. We talked about it this morning. That had been slaves in Egypt. The rest of them had been born free. And now they were, were, you know, some of them were 20 and under that still made it in. So by this time they were 60 years old. So they had children and grandchildren. Their children and grandchildren had been born in freedom. They didn't know what it was like to have a whip lash their backs. They didn't know what it was like to have been under the cruel taskmasters of Egypt. They had no idea. And so God said, it's going to come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what do you mean by this? Amen. That you shall say it is the that sacrifice of the Lord's That I'm telling you what Passover. to say. You say to them, this is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Who passed who over, passed over houses the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt. When he Egypt, smote the, when Egyptians, he smote the and Egyptians and delivered our houses. And, delivered our houses. And, the, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. Now, the, the, the Bible in basic English renders verse 26. And when your children say to you, what is the reason of this act of worship? The message says, and when your children say to you, why are we doing this? God wanted to make sure that the Israelites knew exactly how to answer the question. He said, you make sure they understand why they're doing what they're doing. Because if they don't understand it, they're going to lay it aside. They're not going to keep it. They're not going to appreciate it. I don't want them to ever get to the place they don't know why we're doing what we're doing. I don't want them to inherit, amen, an Israel that's not like the Israel that I delivered. Well, come on, somebody. God wanted to see to it that every generation not only observed the ordinance, but understood the ordinance and appreciated the ordinance. Because without an understanding, without an appreciation, the ordinance would simply become a ritual with no meaning. And this act of worship would be without passion or feeling. 
And I'm here to tell you, God does not accept ritualistic worship. I'm preaching to us Pentecostals. I'm preaching to us tonight. God does not accept your rituals. God wants more than a ritual. Oh, help me, Jesus. Amos chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell Whoa, whoa, whoa. God said to Israel, I hate. God is love. Well, he is. But he said, I hate, I despise your feast days. And I will not smell in your solemn assembly. I'm going to hold my nose when you burn your incense. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Amen. Read. Though ye offer me burnt offerings. Though you offer burnt offerings. And your meat offerings. And meat offerings. I will not accept them. I will them. not accept them. Neither will I regard, will the, I peace regard the peace of offerings beasts. of your fat beasts. Now what caused God to feel this way? They were offering. God told them to offer sacrifices. God told them to give burnt offerings. Didn't he? Weren't they doing exactly what God told them to do? Weren't they obeying God to the letter? But God said, I don't like it. You're doing it, but I don't like it. Why did he not like it? Now, this is chapter 5, verse 22. Let's go to the first verse of the next chapter, chapter 6, verse 1. And he says this. Woe to them, Woe to them that are at that ease, are at in, ease Zion. in Zion. And trust I, in wonder, I wonder tonight how many of those burnt offerings were meaningless to them. They did it, but it was ritual. They did it, but it was because they had to do it. They didn't love it. They didn't enjoy it. They didn't appreciate it. They, didn't, they just did it because somebody said they had to do it God doesn't want that kind of worship apostolics and I'm telling you we can be just as guilty as the Jews were we show up at church we put our offering in we raise our hands oh I'm feeling the Holy Ghost around here we clap our hands might even make a lap or two but our heart's not in what's going on we're not enjoying what we're doing it's just a ritual to us Hallelujah. I believe God saw their lackadaisical worship. That's a big word, lackadaisical. But I used it for a reason. Because it expresses what I believe happened to the Israelites. The word lackadaisical means without interest. Without vigor, without determination. It means listless. It means lethargic. It means lazy. God saw they were worshiping, but it was lazy worship. You might as well put your hands down. God's not impressed. I'm telling you, you might. Now, my old pastor used to get up and get on to us all the time. He said, all you can do is get your hands at half mast. 
That's the way he said it. I'm telling you, you might as well just put your hands down. You might as well forget it. If you're just going to be bored with your worship, if you're just going to go through the motions, God's not interested in what you're offering him. Amen. I believe God saw their lackadaisical, lazy, listless, lethargic worship. I believe God saw, amen, that their worship had become perfunctory. I'm, I'm using these big words not to impress you tonight, but because they best describe what I'm trying to get across. The word perfunctory means perform merely as a routine duty. It means superficial. It means lacking interest, care, enthusiasm. It means to do it with indifference, to be apathetic. Well, I'm worshiping. Well, I got my hands up. Well, I'm singing. But your heart's not in what you're doing. I'm preaching to us tonight. I'm telling you, God wants more than just the rituals of worship. But God's looking for people that will worship Him out of the abundance of their heart. They love what they're doing. They understand what they're doing. They appreciate what they're doing. Israel got to the place. They kept the ordinance. But they didn't do it because they loved it. They just did it because it was a rule. Well, hallelujah. And I'm telling you, as I got to looking at this, I started wondering, how do our children, how do our grandchildren feel about what we're doing? Do they understand the reason why we do what we do? The reason why we live like we live? The reason why we preach what we preach? Do they understand what it's really all about? I'm, I'm first generation Pentecostal. Amen. I came out of the world. Yes, I was just a young boy. But I know what the world's got to offer. I know what it is to feel those chains fall off my hands. I'm telling you, when I come to church, I'm having a celebration. I've been set free. He took the shackles off my feet so I could dance. I know what it's like to be out there. I know what it's like to be bound. But tonight I'm free. I've been set free. But I fear. See, I, I, I was blessed to marry a wonderful woman who is third, fourth, fourth generation one God apostolic. Her great grandmother received the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Jesus' name. Great grandmother. And so... I've been privileged to raise my children in this truth. And I am privileged now to watch them raising their children in this truth. But I don't want my children's children to simply come to church 
and see what's going on and not understand it and not appreciate it and not get it in their hearts. They may be raised in the church, but there's still shackles on them. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want them to come to appreciate when those shackles fall off. I want them to appreciate what's going on around here. If we're not careful, church, if we're not careful... Our children and our grandchildren can grow to become lackadaisical and perfunctory. But it's not going to happen if I can help it. I said not on my watch it won't. Not as long as I fill this pulpit it's not going to happen. If I could do anything to instill a love for what we do and why we do it in their hearts, I'm going to do it to my dying day. Oh, hallelujah. I want them to understand why we preach there's only one God. Why do we make such a big deal out of it? Oh, God, help me tonight. We may be here for a little while. I hope you're not in a hurry. You do understand this is the first time since I had my surgery I've preached twice in one day. And I may regret this when I get done, but honey, if if it kills me to do it, I'm going to do what I feel tonight. sick of seeing second and third generation apostolics walk out on this truth and go sit on a Trinitarian pew and call themselves alright with God it's not going to happen around here I want them to understand why we're making such a big deal to preach there's only one God He shot up Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's one Lord. There's one Lord. There's one Lord. And His name is Jesus. That's a big deal, honey. That's a big deal. Oh, hallelujah. I said it Thursday night. I say it again. Jesus made a big deal out of this. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark 12, verses 28 to 30. Read. And one of the scribes came, having heard, and having heard them reasoning together and uh-huh. perceiving that he had answered them well, uh-huh. asked him. Yes. Which is the first what commandment? What is the of first all? commandment? What's the best? What's the greatest? What is the number one top priority commandment out of all of them in the scripture? And Jesus, and Jesus answered, answered him. The first of the all the first commandments. Of is, all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel. Hear, o Israel the Lord our God, the Lord our is, God one Lord. is one Lord. That's number one. That's the top of all of them. That's above everything. Honey, I'm not 
going to entertain the doctrine of the Trinity around here. They're not going to fill this pulpit. They're not going to sing on this platform. I want my children and my grandchildren to know and to appreciate why we preach what we're preaching. Well, hallelujah. I tell you, I've watched it. And, and uh, for a little while, I was a part, and I can say it, I know we're taping and streaming and all that other nonsense, but if that's going to hinder me from preaching, we'll shut it down. I'm just going to preach, hallelujah. But for a little while, I was a part of a forum on the Internet they called themselves apostolic. But it was nothing but a cesspool. I got, out, I got out of there. I said, this is just nonsense. There were a few good men trying to uphold truth. But most of them that called themselves apostolic said, there's no difference between us and Trinitarian. They're our half-brothers or whatever. And they, they were just buying into it taking it hook line and say, I'm going to tell you something the reason why they're doing that they got to a place that this message is nothing more than a perfunctory ritual in their eyes it's not important it's not a big deal I submit to you it is a big deal in fact in fact brother David Boyd who is an evangelist you, you got to give him some credit he went and started a, what they call a thread. That's a topic of discussion. Started a thread, and the title of the thread was, All Trinitarians Are Lost. Well, that's harsh, isn't it? Well, let's see what Jesus said in John 8 and 24. I said, therefore, unto you, that you shall die in your sins. You'll die in your sins. For if you believe not Unless that I you am believe he, that the Greek is ego aimi. Unless you believe that I am... You, you shall die you in your shall sin. die in your sin. unless you believe Jesus is the great I am you're lost honey you are lost unless you've got a revelation of the mighty God in Christ this is a big deal why do you apostolics get so excited when you preach about one God that's why we can't be saved if we don't believe in one God this is what saves us that's why we apostolics get so excited in fact the very term apostolic let's talk about that for just a minute why do we call ourselves apostolic? Why, why do we call ourselves apostolic? I want our children and our grandchildren to know why. I don't want it to just be a label we throw around. I want them to know why we say that. Why do we say that? Well, John 17, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Now, Jesus said the way we're going to believe on him is through the word of the apostles. That's how we believe on him. We don't believe on him through the word of Billy Graham. We, 
We, we don't believe on him even through my words. You hear me? We believe on him through the words of the apostles. Well, hallelujah. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But though we or any angel though from heaven, we or an angel from heaven preach any other, preach gospel, any unto other you, gospel unto you than which we, than have, that preached which we you, have preached unto you, let him be let accursed. Him be accursed. That's why I'm apostolic. Because if you're not apostolic, you're cursed. I'm apostolic because i got to be apostolic to be saved. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about a church name. I'm talking about a belief. Let him be a curse, Paul said. If they don't preach exactly what we preached, they're cursed of God. Read. As we said before, so say I now again. Paul said, look, just in case you missed it the first time. If any man preach any other gospel. He said, just in case you didn't get what I just said, let me make this perfectly clear. Let me make sure that nobody walks out of here scratching their head saying, I wonder what that preacher believes. Paul said, as we said before, so say I now again. If any man if preach any, man preach any, any other gospel, other gospel you, than that you have received, let him, be accursed. let him be accursed. There is no other message beside the apostolic message. There is no other way to be saved outside of the apostolic way to be saved. There is no other gospel other than the apostolic gospel. First John 4 and 6. We are of God. We, John said, we the apostles are of God. He that knoweth God he heareth us. He that knows God will listen to the apostles. He that is not of God but heareth us. But he that's not, not of us. God will not listen to the apostles. Hereby know now, we. Now listen to me. Hang on just a minute. I need to say this. We're not talking about modern day quote unquote apostles. And there's a lot of folks out there that are today calling themselves apostles. We're not talking about, we're talking about the original apostle. Well, hallelujah. We're talking about the New Testament apostles. And John said, we, the New Testament apostles, are of God. And anybody that's really of God will listen to us. And if they won't listen to us, they're not of God. And then he said... Hereby know this we is the how we know the spirit of truth and the, spirit, and the of error. spirit of error. This is how we determine who's right and who's wrong. It all depends on whether or not they preach what the apostles preach. That's why I'm an apostolic. Well, hallelujah. So why? Why do we preach that the only way to be saved is through the new birth? You going to ride with me for a little while, church, or are we through? Why do we preach, amen, that salvation comes through the new birth? I'll tell you why. Because that's what Jesus said. This is not Pentecostal doctrine. This is Bible doctrine. Yeah. 
This is not something that was given to me by some organization, amen, or some denomination. This is what the Bible said. John 3. Verses 3 through 5. Jesus answered and said unto him, said unto him Verily, 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 I, say, verily unto thee, I say unto thee, except a man, be born, man again, be born again, he cannot again. see the kingdom he of God. What? Cannot. He what? Cannot. Come on. I want you to understand what do we mean by this service? What do we mean by preaching new birth? Come on. He what? Cannot. He cannot see the kingdom. There's no way around cannot. There are no exceptions to cannot. Well, he was a good man. Well, he had the fruit of the Spirit in his life. Well, he was a Christian. Well, he did this. Well, he did that. Cannot. Come on now. Jesus said that. Except a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, Nicodemus, Nicodemus saith unto him, saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? This doesn't make any sense to me, Jesus. Please explain what you're saying. Jesus said, All right, I will. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Water and of the Spirit. He cannot. He what? He what? Come on, get a hold of this church. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You're not going. If you're not baptized and full of the Holy Ghost, you're not going. You're not going. You're not going. He cannot, he cannot, he cannot. Now, we said a minute ago, the only way we're going to believe on him is through what the apostles said. Let's go to Luke chapter 24, verses 45 to 49. Then open he their understanding. Now, that now, they... now listen, listen, listen. We don't want to just overlook this scripture. Because I've had people say, well, I don't want to believe what Peter said. I believe what Jesus said. As though Jesus and Peter contradicted one another. I've had people say that, honestly. I've heard him say that. And, and, and Peter and Jesus did not contradict each other. Now this verse tells us very clearly that these apostles were not confused. They were not mistaken. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Anybody that tells me that the Apostle Peter or any other of the original apostles made a mistake, you are calling the Word of God a lie. The Bible said that God opened their understanding. They understood. They didn't make a mistake. They understood. And here's what they understood. Let's read on. And said unto them, All right, Thus now, it He's opened their understanding so they could understand the Scriptures. Right? Everybody with me? He opens their understanding so they can understand the scriptures. Then he says to them, Thus it is written. This is what the scriptures say. So while he is now explaining what the scriptures say, you've got to realize they understood what he was talking about. And thus it behooved Christ, it behooved to, suffer Christ to suffer and to rise, and to from, rise the dead the third day. from the dead the third day. And that repentance, and that, 
Everyone say repentance. repentance. And remission of sins. Everyone say remission of sins. Uh huh. Should be preached in his name. Everyone say in his name. Uh -huh. among, among all nations. Uh huh. Beginning at Jerusalem. Right. And ye are witnesses of these things. Right. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Everyone say the promise of the Father. And so Jesus said, I'm going to tell you what the scriptures have been leading up to. They've been leading up to this. They want you to go out and preach repentance, remission of sins in my name, and the promise of the Father. That's what I'm telling you to preach. He didn't say go out there and preach accept the Lord as your personal Savior. He didn't say go out there and preach believe on the Lord and you're forever saved. He said go preach repentance and remission of sins in my name and the promise of the Father. So Acts chapter 2 verses 37 to 39. Now when they heard this, they, when they were, heard this, they were pricked in their heart. pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter, and said to Peter and the and rest of the apostles, men and brethren, men and brethren what shall we do? What shall we do? Then, then Peter yeah, said they addressed. Wait a minute, hang on, just a minute. Look back up to verse thirty-seven. Who are they addressing here? Verse thirty-seven. Who are they addressing? When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said to Peter and the rest of what? So we're dealing with the apostles, right? We're dealing with those that had their understanding open. We're dealing with those uh, through whose words we believe on him. The question was put to the apostles. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38. Then Peter said then unto Peter, them. Peter, the spokesman for the apostles, said unto them. Repent. He didn't say accept the Lord as your Savior. He didn't say sign a church card. He didn't say get the right hand of fellowship. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. What did Jesus tell him to preach? He said, Preach, repent. Peter's doing what Jesus told him to do. He said, Repent. And be baptized. And be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins. For the remission of sins. What else did he tell him to preach? He said to preach remission of sins in my name. I'm telling you the only way to get your sins remitted is through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. You may have been baptized saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but if you were, all you got was wet. You need to go down in the water in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can experience remission of sins. Hallelujah. So, Jesus said, preach repentance. Preach remission of sins in my name. And Jesus said, preach the promise of the Father. We had not finished Acts 2.38, have we? Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive, ye shall the, gift receive the, the gift Ghost. of the Holy Ghost. For the promise, for is, the unto promise is unto you. And to your children. Peter preached exactly what Jesus told him to preach. 
He preached repentance. He preached remission of sins in Jesus' name. And he preached the promise of the Father, which is receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Honey, if you want to be saved, that's what it means to be born again. It's not church membership. It's not accepting Christ. It's repentance. Baptism in Jesus' name and receiving the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Well, are you tired? Can I preach just a few more minutes? I want to tell you something else that disturbs me that I'm seeing happen among quote-unquote apostolic and Pentecostal churches. They're losing a love for why we live the way we live. They want to look like the world, act like the world, Talk like the world. Go where the world goes. Watch what the world watches. Listen to what the world listens to. And call themselves Christians. You know, I made a statement this morning. While I was teaching, I said most Christian denominations, if you go back 100 years, they're not, they're not preaching the same thing they preached 100 years ago. If they were in existence 100 years ago, they are not today preaching the same message they preached 100 years ago. They're not. Now, I'm not saying that to be hateful or mean. I'm just stating the facts. You can research it for yourself and find out that 100 years ago, almost every Christian denomination had things they preached against. Whoa, can you imagine that? They actually got up and told people there were places they should not be going. There were things they should not be doing. That they shouldn't be drinking and smoking and carousing and partying. A hundred years ago, amen, even some of the most liberal denominations were telling people to stay out of the movie theaters. A hundred years ago, they were preaching this to them. But they don't preach that anymore. And yet God hasn't changed. But you know what happened? It all just became perfunctory. Amen. It all just became a ritual. They didn't understand it. They didn't know the reason behind it. They weren't in love with it. But I won't let that happen to this generation, the next generation, or the generation after them. Leviticus 20 verse 7 Sanctify yourselves Sanctify therefore, yourselves therefore and, be ye holy. and be ye holy For I am, For the, I Lord the, Lord your God. am the Lord your God 2 Corinthians 6 verses 17 and 18 Wherefore come out, wherefore, from, among them, come out from among them And be ye separate, and be ye saith, separate the Lord, saith the Lord And touch not the, touch unclean, not thing, the unclean thing And I will receive and you I will receive you And will be a father unto and you And I'll be a father unto you And you shall be my sons and, and daughters, my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty. He didn't say I'm going to be your daddy Regardless of how you live what he's saying was, if you want to live like the devil, don't call me daddy. If you want to live like the devil, just admit the devil is your daddy. But if you want to call me father, then you act like I'm your father. Come out from among them and be separate. 
First Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he which hath called, you, which is hath holy, called you is holy, so be, so ye, be holy ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it, is, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen. Oh, but preacher, we're living under grace today. Yeah, that's why we're supposed to live holy. <laughs> Come on. You bunch of legalists, you're trying to get us out from under grace. No, I'm trying to get you under grace. Grace doesn't say you can live like you want to. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Grace! Grace! Well, we believe in grace around here, don't we? We believe in grace. Bring a salvation hath appeared to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what does it do? Teaching us. It teaches us. That denying grace, ungodliness. Grace teaches us. Denying it ungodliness. It doesn't teach us to live like we want to live. Grace doesn't teach us to do what we want to do. Grace teaches us that we should deny ungodliness. And worldly lusts. And we should deny worldly lusts. Amen. We should live soberly. And grace teaches us that we should live soberly. Righteously. Righteously. And godly. And godly. In this present world. In this world. present world. Looking for that blessed you hope. You know why? Because it's about over. Amen. Amen. We're looking for a blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, who for, gave us, himself for us, that he might redeem, he us, might from redeem all iniquity, us from all iniquity, and purify, and unto, himself purify a peculiar people, unto himself a peculiar people, zealous who of good is works. zealous of good works. You get out there and say, well, grace tells me I can live like I want to. Nonsense. Grace says you better shape up or you're going to ship out. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Grace teaches us to get ready for the coming of the Lord by denying ourselves. I want our children and our grandchildren to understand why we preach what we preach. Why we live the way we live. And why we worship the way we worship. Now, I thank you for coming alive while I'm preaching. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want our grandchildren to base what Pentecost is on the way we worship during the song service. That's not the Pentecost I want them to know. Well, it's the truth anyhow. I want them to understand why we do the things we do. I, I don't want them to come to church and just say, well, this is just the way we are. I don't know why we do this. I want them to understand it. I want them to love it. You know why we pray together out loud? You know, to me, this is, a, this is an amazing thing. I, I get around other folks, and, and uh, you know, they, I, I, of course, as a, as a pastor, I've made a lot of hospital calls in my life. And a lot of times you're there with folks that are not apostolic, and uh, yet there's some kind of 
of, of Christian. And uh, you, you get there, and they say, well, let's pray. And they'll all join hands, and they want to take turns as though God can only hear one person at a time. Now, I don't know how they explain what's happening if somebody's praying over in Africa right now or even in the next room. If God only hears one person at a time, we got problems. Well, so why do we as apostolics do it differently? In fact, Come on now. I remember one of the first times we went to a hospital visit. My wife shook her head, yes, that means I can tell it. <laughs> Listen, fourth generation apostolic. This is all she's known. So we get together, we're standing there with these folks. I say, well, let's pray. And so the, the man starts to pray. Well, she's just she's praying too. And he stops, looks around. I mean, he didn't know what was going on. You know, they weren't used to that. But that, that's, that's the way we do things. We, we don't take turns praying. God can hear every one of us and knows what we're saying and understands it and can answer every prayer at the same time. Why do we pray together out loud? Well, Acts chapter 4, verse 24, read. And when they heard that, they lifted up they their voice lifted to up God their with voice one accord. To God. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord. And said, Lord, thou art God. Listen, it wasn't just one person at a time. They were all praying together. And honey, they weren't doing it quietly. They didn't bow their heads and mumble a prayer. They lifted up their voice with one accord. Why do we lift our hands? Psalm 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands in lift the sanctuary. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. And bless the Lord. And bless the Lord. 1 Timothy 2 and 8. I will therefore I let will men therefore pray everywhere. Men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Without wrath and doubting. We do this because the Bible tells us to do this. Yes. Hallelujah. Why do we sing with all of our hearts? Amen. At least some of us do. Come on now. Why do we do that? Psalm 98, verse 4. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise earth. to the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud Make noise. Make a loud noise. And rejoice. And rejoice. And sing praise. And sing praise. You know what? I, you know, I, honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. I am convinced that God likes it loud. I'm just convinced God likes it loud. I don't think God's impressed with our silence. I don't think God is one bit impressed that we say, well, I'm just, I'm reverencing the house of God. I don't think God's impressed with that at all. You're not, you're just lazy. That's all you are. God wants you to worship. God wants to hear something out of you. Well, you don't go to a ball game and sit there quietly. You lift your voice when you... Hopefully you quit going if you're apostolic, but I'm preaching to everybody else tonight. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, God, God wants us to lift our voices, to make a loud noise unto Him. Heaven's not going to be a quiet place. In fact, every time God speaks, it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's like the voice of many water. Yeah. Come on. Right. And they heard the voice of thousands of thousands. 
all at one time. It's not going to be a quiet place. Heaven's going to be loud. And you know, Jesus said this. He said, when you pray, you ought to pray this way. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If it's going to be loud in heaven, then let's make it loud on earth. Some of you are clapping. You know why we clap? Psalm 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, oh, clap all your you hands. people. Shouting to God. With wait a minute, the wait a minute. Some of you have not obeyed that scripture yet tonight. He didn't say clap your hands, some of you people. He said, oh, clap your hands, all. people shout unto God with the voice of triumph. I'm just explaining what we mean by this service. I'm just explaining what the purpose is behind what we're doing. Psalm 150, verse 4. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with a timbrel and. Well, hallelujah. You know, I said a while ago, most every Christian denomination had things they preached against. One of the things they preached against, they preached against dancing. They really did. They preached against that. Amen. They felt like it was wicked. It was licentious. It was sensuous. They preached against it. Amen. But, but, there is one dance that God loves. And it's not when we're dancing with a partner, unless the partner's him. There was something about it when old King David threw off his kingly robes and danced before the Lord with all his might. Now his wife didn't like it one little bit and God cursed her and said, you're going to be barren as a result of it. But David looked at her and said, honey, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think that was vile? You just hang on. I'm going to worship God with more fervor. Amen. I'm going to worship God with more passion than I ever had before. When my grandchildren ask me, what do you mean? What do you mean by this service? You know what? I hope that I have preached it hard enough, strong enough, and we've practiced it well enough that they don't ever have to ask that question. God knew. God knew for the Jews that Passover would just become perfunctory. 
God knew for the Jews that it would all become lackadaisical. God knew for the Jews they would just go through the motions. And he knew the day was coming their kids would say, what do you mean by this service? But I'm telling you apostolics, we don't have to raise a generation that doesn't understand what we mean. We don't have to raise a generation that doesn't appreciate what's going on. They can understand it. They can appreciate it. And they can love it. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Dalton, come here. Come here, buddy. I'm nearly done. This is my buddy. You know, my first grandson was born, and I've done it with all three of my grandkids. When my first grandson was born, I started this practice. The first chance I had to hold him in my arms, standing in that delivery room, the first words he heard his grandpa speak were, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And I started right there in that delivery room. I held him for a while and I quoted scripture to him and I quoted scripture and I quoted scripture. Amen. Dalton, I don't want you coming to New Life Pentecostal Church and wondering why we do the things we do. I don't want you to wonder why we shout and dance. Why we clap our hands and raise our hands. I don't want you to wonder why we make such a big deal out of being baptized in Jesus name and talking in tongues. Amen. But buddy, I want you to know it. I want you to love it. I want you to get it down inside of your heart. I don't want you to ever have to ask Grandpa, what do you mean by this? What's the meaning of all this? I'm telling you tonight, if I've ever got to have that conversation with this boy, I am a failure as a grandpa and a pastor. I don't want him to wonder why. What mean you by this service? What do you mean by all this? Grandpa, what's this all about? Why are you running the aisles? Why are you carrying on like that? Why are you preaching so hard? Why are you doing... I don't want those to ever be questions. I know that as life unfolds, he's going to have a lot of questions. I know that as life unfolds, there's going to be times that he's going to come in and sit down beside Grandpa and say, i got a few things I'd like to know, but I don't want it to ever be. What do you mean by this service? I don't want that to be a question he's got to ask. I don't want that to ever be a question he's got to ask. Now, I find it interesting. I'm, I'm trying to close. I find it interesting that when the Israelites left Egypt, God said, I want you to institute the Passover. And I want you to do this every year forever. 
And he said, when it shall be that your children ask you, what mean you by this service? You tell them what it means. And you explain to them that God set you free. I don't want them to forget it. Now that happened when they left Egypt. Forty years later, they're ready to cross over the Jordan River and go into the promised land. The priests take the Ark of the Covenant and they step out. And when the feet of the priests touch the water, it just rolls back. And they walk out on dry ground and they stand there on dry ground while the people pass over the Jordan River and enter into the land of promise. And when they get to the other side, Joshua takes the pulpit. Now Joshua was there when Moses preached this message. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that heard this message preached firsthand. But Joshua's got a sermon to preach tonight. Joshua chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, uh-huh. twelve stones. I want you to go and get twelve stones. And you shall carry the them. the place where the priest's feet stood. Get you twelve stones. Out of that riverbed. And. And you shall carry them carry over them with you. Over with you. And leave them leave in the them lodging place. In the lodging place. Where you shall where lodge, this, lodge night. this night. Uh-huh. Then Joshua called the twelve men. Whom he had prepared of the children of Israel. Out of every tribe of man. Uh-huh. And Joshua said unto them. Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God. Uh-huh. Into the midst of Jordan. Uh-huh. And take ye up every take man. Every a, man. Of you a stone, a stone upon his shoulder. On his shoulder. According unto According the, number the number of the tribes of the, tribes the children of Israel, Israel. Uh-huh. that this may be a sign among you. This might be a sign among you that when your children ask, now, wonder where you heard this message preached. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. He said, "Look, guys, God's doing something great for our generation." I know there's not a one of you other than Caleb that felt the bondage of the chains of Egypt. I know that. But you have experienced the bondage of having walked through the wilderness. You know what it's like to wander for these 40 years. You know what this is all about. But I want you now to have a memorial of your own. And I want you to get some rocks and I want you to pile them high. And the day's going to come. When your children are going to ask their fathers, saying, In time to come, saying, What mean ye by these what stones? What mean ye by these stones? Read. Then you shall answer You're them. You're going to answer them. That the waters of the Jordan waters were of cut Jordan off before the Ark of the Covenant of the, the Lord. The covenant of the Lord. When, it when it passed over Jordan, Jordan the waters, the of, waters Jordan were of Jordan cut off. were cut off. And these stones and these shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel 
forever. There's going to be a pile of stones here that every time they walk by this stack of rocks, I want them to ask a question, what does this mean? And when they ask, I want you to have the answer. God delivered us. God saved us. God spared us. God kept His promise. God brought us into Israel. God gave us this land. I want my children and my children's children to know what we mean by all of this. It's not just about us. Are you hearing me, church? You've got to realize when you come in here and sit down like a bump on a dill pickle, it's not just you that you're affecting. You're teaching the children that are coming up after us that they can sit in church like a bunch of wooden Indians. When you lay out a church, you're teaching them they can lay out a church. When you don't pay your tithes, you're teaching them they don't have to pay their tithes. When you don't live by the standard that's preached, you're saying to them it's not important. But oh God, let something happen to us that we hand this same apostolic movement to our children and to our grandchildren. But the interesting thing about verse 6, this, that this may be a sign among you, I'm sorry, verse 7, that, I'm sorry, it was verse 6. This may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? The New King James and many other versions render this a little differently. And I like the way they put it. They said, what do these stones mean to you? I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I know the meaning of the stones. I know why they were put there. But what do they mean to you, Mama? What do they mean to you, Grandpa? I know the purpose behind the stack of rocks. But what do they mean to you? You're telling what they mean by the way you act when you get to church. You're telling what they mean by the way you live when you're not in church. What do they mean to you? That's why, and I close with this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses. Well, I'll tell you what, let's read this in reverse order, would we? Can we do that? Let's start with verse 7, and then we'll back up and read verse 6. Read verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently now, now unto thy children. Now he's talking about the words. He said, the words which I command thee. The words which I command thee. That's, that's the subject. You see, verse 7 starts with the word and. It's a continuation of the sentence before. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. 
and shalt talk, shalt of, talk them of them when thou sittest, in, thou thine sittest in thine house, and when thou, when thou walkest, walkest by the way, the way and when, when thou, thou liest down, down when and when up, thou risest up. And so on, up. on, 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 he, he went. So, so they began to said, look, you drill this in your kids. You drill it in your kids. You put it in their hearts. You make sure they understand it. You make sure you pass it on to them. But, and, and you know, really, for the most part, the Jews did exactly that. I mean, they put it on the gate. They put it on the doorpost. They wore it, you know, between their eyes. They, they did this part. Verse 7, they did. They taught them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They, they did, verse 7. And yet the Bible says that there arose a generation which knew not God, neither the works which he had done for Israel. Now how, Brother Nix, how? Can a generation rise up and not know God when mom and daddy's been doing this? You want to know how? They obeyed verse 7. But they never got verse 6. Read verse 6. And these words which, these I, words command which I command thee this, thee this day shall be in thine shall heart. Be in thine And thou shalt teach them diligently. They taught them diligently, but they never got it in their heart. I'm preaching to some mamas and daddies and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, you got to get a hold of this, not just for you, but there is another generation that's looking at us and they're learning what Pentecost is based on what you're teaching them. What do these stones mean to you, Brother Merriman? What do they mean to you? Not what does the pastor say. Not what does our church teach. What does it mean to you? Becca, what does it mean to you? Alara, what does it mean to you? Brother Jerry, what do these stones mean to you? What is in your heart right now? you got to answer the question. What does it mean to me? I know the scripture. I've heard the pastor preach it. I know what he preaches is out of the Bible. But is it in your heart? Let's stand tonight. What's the meaning of this? But more importantly, what does it mean to you? How important is this message to you? How important is this truth to you? How important is our worship to you? How important is our lifestyle to you? Play softly if you would. Listen.
Last year, last November, when I went out to preach at the West Coast Conference, we went by one day to the Reagan Library, Presidential Library, and uh, saw all the memorabilia of that great leader, now deceased. Watched a little clip of an interview of his wife. And you could see the love in her eyes. Somebody began to ask her about one of the love letters he had written to her. The tears that filled her eyes. You know, she sat by his bed. He was a strong man. He was in excellent health when his mind left. And that really creates a problem. Because the body just keeps on living. And the mind is gone. And so for years, she sat by his bed. She took care of him. She watched over him. He, couldn't, he could not reciprocate. He, he could not show her love. He, are you following? And yet she stayed with him. Why? She wasn't getting anything out of that relationship. Why did she stay with him? Because you don't leave what you love. You might have some disagreements. You might have some rough times. But you don't leave what you love. And that's why God said, let these words first be in your heart. Because if you'll love this truth, if you'll love this message, if you'll get it down inside your heart, you'll never walk away from it. You hear me? Those that walk away from it didn't love it. They didn't love it! Because you don't leave what you love. When my grandchildren, or if the Lord tarries, my great-grandchildren, come to me and ask me, what's the meaning of this? I want to have it so deep in my heart that they never have to ask that question again. They tell me, I believe it was old brother Ballastero who also developed Alzheimer's. They said that it may have been his son who went in to see him. He didn't recognize him. His, his mind was so far gone. He had no recognition of who it was and just, you know, no way to really carry on any kind of conversation. He said they tried to talk to him, tried to relate, tried to somehow communicate, and there was no way to do it. His mind was just gone. And all of a sudden, this relative of his, whoever it was, said, well, I just wanted you to know that I've decided to start preaching the doctrine of the Trinity. And he said that when he said that, focus came into that old man's eyes. 
And he looked at him and he said, son, don't you ever preach that false doctrine. And he began to preach him a one God message. Let me tell you what happens, church. Brother Owens and I were talking about this the other day. And, and I was talking about my visit with my old pastor and going down to see him and, and, and how he, you know, his mind is going and he, he, he rattled and, and, and talked things that were out of his head until the Holy Ghost moved in. And then all of a sudden things began to click. But I told Brother Owens, I said, but the thing was, even though a lot of what he said didn't make much sense, the fact was he was talking about preaching. He was talking about building churches. He was talking about trying to win souls. I said, Brother Owens, if my mind ever goes, I hope that's what's coming out of my mouth. And I said, I, this is just me. I can't say for sure. But I want to tell you what I personally believe. I believe that whatever's in the heart is what's going to come out of the mouth. And I believe if I've got a deep enough love for this truth, even if my mind goes, I'm still going to talk about God and this one God message and Jesus' name baptism. I want to love it. I want it to be more to me than just a box of rocks. I want it to be more to me than just a memorial that somebody somewhere set up. I want it to be in my heart. Oh, let's lift our hands and love the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. These altars are open right now. I wonder if there's anybody who's got a fresh desire to fall in love with this truth that wants to put this down deep in their hearts. Is there anybody that feels like praying for a little while tonight?